and welcome to Series 7, Episode 13 of Out with Susie Ruffle. I am very excited for you to hear this week's episode with the brilliant Reese Nicholson. But first of all, I need to thank you for all of the gorgeous, gorgeous messages I got after last week's episode with the wonderful Ben Aldridge. I highly recommend you check out all the stuff that he's doing. He is a wonderful, wonderful person. As you all know, I fell in love. But before we get into Reese's conversation today, you might know Reese. They are a brilliant stand-up comic and they make brilliant work and you might have seen them on the telly. They also did this incredible thing during the marriage equality vote in Australia where they married a gay female comic to make a point about the fact that they were two gay people getting married but they couldn't actually get married to the person they loved. Anyway, it was brilliant. And Reese talks about that. And so I can't wait for you to hear this conversation. But before that, as always, I have some listener emails that I would love to share with you. Hi, Susie. I recently found your podcast after hearing you on the LGBT history episode, You're Dead to Me. Did you do the MA in queer studies? I, I wish. No, I haven't. But I would love to at some point. I wish I could, and I would love to hear you talk to Justin Bengry as a guest. That's a great idea. I'll reach out to him for the next series. And apologies for the rambling that follows. I'm not very good with queer podcasts as a rule. I tend to get quite annoyed with the hosts who often come across as self-indulgent and full of in-jokes. Uh-oh. But I really enjoyed your contribution to the LGBTQ episode of Dead to Me and searched you out and found out. I started at the very beginning with Dustin Lance back and have been hooked. I've been working my way forward and back and through all the episodes and felt compelled to reach out after picking up on a couple of themes that seem to thread through every conversation you have. Of all the childhood teen years stolen by homophobia and queerphobia and by the shame imposed externally and internally felt by your guests. This is the thing that resonates with me the most and upsets me the most. I'm 50 now and I grew up on the Isle of Man when it was still illegal to be gay and when gay men were aggressively prosecuted by the police. I was one of those gay men whose life was completely derailed by that. I was arrested before I finished my A-levels, I had to drop out of school, lost my chance of university and had to move away from my parents before they found out the truth about me, causing a rift with them that lasted many years. In 1991, I met the man who would eventually go on to be my husband. I was 21 and aggressively out 24-7 because I was angry all the time with the world and had become what must have seemed like one of those really annoying campaigning gays who wore his sexuality on his sleeve out of sheer bloody-minded defiance and had no patience and no compassion for anyone in the closet. I've grown and mellowed a lot since then. Back then, we were told that we would never be accepted, never be happy, never marry, never have kids. In 2006, we moved to Canada, got married and have two amazing sons. I thought that after the golden age of LGBT acceptance in the 90s that things in Britain would improve for young gay people and they would never have to experience what I did. But what has upset me and angered me so much has been hearing guest after guest and yourself talk about the shame they've had growing up. Hannah Gadsby spoke about being soaked in shame in the net and it was watching that special that I realised that even though I have been out and actually truly proud since my late teens, I have spent a huge amount of my life soaked in shame about me, my sexuality, my liking men, my enjoying sex with men. Listening to the listener emails, I realised that despite what looks like greater public acceptance over the years, so little has really improved since I was coming out in the 80s and 90s, that there is still so much shame associated with our respective sexualities and identities. 
Anyway, thank you for the podcast. I'm grateful that you've made it and continue to make this amazingly valuable resource. I've enjoyed so much listening to your guests and the emails with much love from Canada. And that's from Adrian. Thank you so much for sharing your story with me. And I know exactly what you mean. I'm so disappointed that we're still having these conversations and that so many people still feel like that. Thank God for people like you who are out and shouting because you needed to, that we had you there to sort of make uh, make space for us. We Actually, Reese and I talk about this in the conversation today about about feeling connected to older queers in our in our community and how important it is to feel that connection and so I'm so pleased that you have reached out to me and I'm so pleased that you liked out when you said I don't usually like queer podcasts I thought oh god where's this going but um, thank you for taking a chance on out and I'm absolutely delighted that you enjoy it and thank you thank you for sharing it okay we'll have one more here we go hi Susie I've been listening to out for a couple of years and I love hearing the stories from all the different corners of our community and for some reason I really wanted to share mine with you I knew within myself that I was queer from the age of about 10, but looking back, there were definitely signs even before that. I was raised in quite a conservative small town where even those who like to think of themselves as open and liberal would still make offensive jokes and use slurs casually, which had a huge effect on my self-esteem growing up, especially since I was a cis girl who loved football and Doctor Who and absolutely nothing feminine. I was called everything from a tomboy to a dyke by the adults in my life, ouch, all through my childhood which instilled so much shame and fear in me. Due to this, I played straight until my late teens, when I tentatively came out to a few people as queer. By the age of 18, all my friends knew, my parents knew, and I was even comfortable telling new people that I wasn't straight. I'm incredibly lucky and privileged to have only had positive reactions, partly thanks to moving to Brighton. Over the next six years, I dated a man, and whilst I liked and loved him as a person and could easily picture pottering around with him for the rest of my life something was missing something huge I didn't want to be intimate with him I wasn't attracted to him and honestly I thought there was something wrong with me I've always listened to stories of queer people feeling that massive relief and weight off their shoulders after coming out and despite being very out and proud as queer I still had a suffocating feeling of being in the closet and couldn't work out why for a while I explored my gender identity and expression trying desperately to feel more comfy in my own skin But recently I've hit a point where I'm ready to admit that I'm a lesbian and I probably always have been. I love men and the men that I have dated, but I also deserve to feel completely seen by my friends and family. It was just so terrifying to turn my back on a relationship that we had built for years. The routines we had, the plans we'd made, but I knew I couldn't compromise anymore. Since coming out, again, as gay and ending my very comfortable long-term relationship, I can honestly say that I understand the feeling of relief now. I feel fucking elated, to be honest. I feel more confident in all aspects of my life, giving opinions and wearing what I want and asking for what I want. I never even noticed that these were issues. It's crazy how much of an effect hiding a part of yourself can have on you. Very long story short, thank you and thank you to your guests for showing that there is no single queer experience and it's never too late or too complicated to shed parts of yourself that don't work for you. Lots of love, Sophie. Thank you, Sophie, for sharing that. I wanted to share one from someone younger after sharing the email from Adrian because hopefully Adrian will hear that and feel a bit more hopeful about the experiences that uh, younger queer people are having as well. And you're absolutely right. There's no right time to to decide to be out or there's no wrong time to do it. There's no, you know, whenever feels right for you. And, you know, I'm just pleased that you've worked out what that is 
for yourself now. And I'm very pleased that the podcast has maybe in some way been a tiny part of your bravery. Okay, that's all the emails for today. Let's get on with the conversation with the brilliant Reese Nicholson. Oh, listener, I'm very excited for this one today. It's one that we've been trying to get in for a while and I'm delighted, delighted to be chatting with them today. Reese Nicholson is a multi-award winning Australian stand-up comedian, writer and actor. They have received countless awards and accolades across the globe for their live shows and are equally prolific on screens. Reese has appeared on countless TV shows in Australia and has a BBC stand-up special live from the BBC, has performed on Conan in the States and is one of only three Australian stand-up comedians to have a special on Netflix. Described by critics as a master of the form, hilarious, razor sharp, they are unbelievably impressive. I have seen Reese live a number of times all over the world and they are always cripplingly funny. Audience doubled over, just a brilliant stand-up. Reese is also a regular judge on RuPaul's Drag Race Down Under, where they are again achingly funny. So I am delighted Reese has taken time to sit down and chat with me today before they begin their UK leg of their world. World tour. Welcome to the show, Reese. Oh, Susie Ruffle. I should have prepared something for you. I'm sorry. Oh, no, don't. Well, listen, the listeners to the show know I, because I only, I only do ever do as many of these I want. Yeah. I, like, no one's, yeah, yeah. No one's making it's me like do them. I, I do, I just do them when I want to do them. Yeah. And I only ever have people that I really want to. Oh, that's So nice. I only have people. So when I do the intros, the intros are always lovely, but it's because I'm genuinely like, I want to sit down and chat yeah. with you. And I feel like the listeners to the show would love to hear from you. You don't have to do that kind of dead eyed chat show bring out someone that like no. and they were a, a runner-up in yeah. i'm a celebrity get me That's out of here thing. 2022 yeah it's good it's it's the lovely thing is that we have people that are super super famous and then there'll be someone that's like a queer writer that's got their first book out yeah yeah and then we'll chat to them as well and so it's i always mean it <laughs> thank you and it's i think it's why podcasting as a as a f- forum for this kind of thing will forever like you can't you know, people have made lots of money out of podcasts and stuff now, but to be able to do whatever you want with a podcast is still quite nice. Yes. Yes, it really is. And it's really... I think it's quite liberating to just not... I mean, you've done loads of telly. Yeah. You know what it's like. You yeah. can do a stand-up routine or do a panel show on telly and then an editor will sort of butcher... Yeah. <laughs> either a gag or, like, when you've tried to make, like, a point that you actually... Something you mean about and then be like, oh, you've... Fuck that somehow. Whereas with podcasting, we just record it and then put it out. The greatest thing on like a, one of those types of shows is when you uh, think you're doing something just for the room. You know, when like a panel show is kind of maybe like it's a long record and like this is very inside baseball, but like you maybe say a pretty full on joke that you know you think like this is only going to go out to the people in this room and we'll laugh about it. And then to your horror, it's the only thing that ends up in the panel <laughs> show. For me, and so you just so seem like a psycho. the only thing you said for two hours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the worst. The worst. How um how are you finding you've not begun your UK no. tour yet. But the last time I saw you you were doing the show in Montreal. Yes. Which for the listeners, uh Montreal is this massive festival that you have to be invited to go to. Yes, and it's a very strange place. It's a very odd place. Um I was delighted to be there. I was yeah, the, we love being there and my we love old to go face again. was a new face. But yeah. <laughs> um We did the straight I mean, is it too boring to do? we did the strangest gig of our lives. The reason that you were there yes. was for new faces. Yes. And then we literally, we were about the show. It was in like, it's this big industry event. Yep. I was hosting it. So I got the d- dream thing of like, I was kind of not, I, I was not involved in the industry of it all. I was just t- there to like bring people out. Like someone on a plane who's like, just jump, jump. <laughs> um, 
and we were standing backstage, and it's a nervy thing, like, it yep. was, and it was being filmed, wasn't it, like, for virtual reality yeah, or something? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and I think I made a joke, we were standing backstage, the show was starting in five minutes, and the room was full, and I said, uh, should we just set off the fire alarm or something? And then a couple minutes later, the fire alarm oh, went yeah. off. Yeah, it did seem like you. And we all ignored it in that way that you ignore a fire alarm until because someone comes to tell you. Of course. And then it was clear... It was a fire in the building. Yeah, it was. There was smoke, and it was a whole thing. And then we had to. And I, I think, well, were you with me? We had to run down a fire escape. Yes. And we ran past a door, and there was water flowing out from under the door that was black. and smoke. Yeah. And we were like, oh, oh no, this isn't good. Some friends of mine on the other side of the building were running down a fire escape and got to the bottom, and it was locked. No. <laughs> oh. And they perished, unfortunately. Yeah, but that's. But like, then we had to. This, anyways, this yeah. episode is dedicated to them. To the so. lives, <laughs> the lives of those comedians we lost. But um, anyways, the. Just, it's a very strange festival, yes. and I found that strange. I had a great time again. I love you just for last, um, but I did a so I'd never done a solo show there before. But and which is, and uh, you've got to understand, friends, you've got to understand. It is a big deal to be asked to do a solo show there. Like it's, sure. it's a big deal. It is, yeah, it is. Like just take this, the fucking compliment. All right, yes, it is. <laughs> and it was very nice of them. But I was there. You're you're doing a show every night. Where usually for comedians, we're there to do seven minutes twice sure. in the whole week sure, that you're sure, there, sure. where I was doing a show every night to middling, like, just learning that, oh, it's an industry event. Like, and oh, this you is weren't, all... it wasn't like a... It was like, you know, people were coming and stuff, but it felt like, and this is a very, again, I, I will stop saying in the industry thing soon, but there's a, the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, yes. huge festival, in the last week of that festival... It overlaps with a TV festival. And then lots of people come and just watch you and think, how could I sell this? A lot of people with lanyards on. Yeah. A lot of like dum-dums trying to like, yeah, how can I, well, what is this? I don't understand it with the list. Can I make some money about, out of this And so that's what it kind of felt like occasionally, but then occasionally I'd have the, the thing about those festivals, and I think as we, as we grow in our careers, you have these moments where... You know, you're hanging out with people of your own vibe all the time. Yeah. And then suddenly you're sitting backstage with, like, you know, Maria Bamford is a big one for yeah, me. Yeah, I like love her. Paul love her. Tompkins are these people yeah. who, uh, I wouldn't say the reason I started doing stand-up, but are the reason my stand-up developed. Yeah, the people that you would listen to on the way to a gig to feel excited about the yeah. fact that you kind of did the same thing as them, but and you were performing in a basement you accident- to four people. You accidentally end up doing a kind of, like... Uh, impression of them on stage because yeah. you're listening to them straight. Like Maria yeah. Bamford was my, even though we are nothing alike, yeah. she was always my. And so suddenly you're. And they don't, in all their glory, don't know how important you are to them and probably uninterested. Like, yeah, and it might make it awkward backstage if you're like, by the way, I, I love, love you. you. So much. And now let's go bomb in front of four people. <laughs> That's the great thing about this festival as well, is learning. And coming to Edinburgh for the first time and seeing properly famous people have rough nights. Yeah. And I think that's more important than seeing people win. Oh, yeah, you've got to be reminded. We all lose sometimes. Yeah. It's okay. It will keep happening. <laughs> you, you can't get away from it. No. Oh, no. Oh, God, I've got a show tonight. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I've had a run of really good ones, so it's that thing of like, oh, I'll yeah. do it. <laughs> so you're great at the moment. Only as good as your last gig. You are great. And tonight you are... It's all right. It's time. It. Yeah. Oh, fucking hell. Oh, man. Do you know what? Can we cancel this now? Yeah. Is, is right can we cancel that? Let's open a wine shop. <laughs> Let's stop our I careers. Uh, so talk to me about how have you found being sort of, you're doing this sort of like globally now. Mm. You're doing, you've done the States, you've done Montreal. How are you finding people sort of, 
because you're you're a bit you're a bit you're a name now in I australia mean, like you're on the yeah, drag in race australia, yes the drag race yeah on the drag race you're on the, the drag and i think drag race down under we could agree is the drag race the drag race no, yeah no other can compete <laughs> and but it's great it's i mean yeah, it's, yeah. it's the thing it's yes. it's you know but you're on stuff all the time you've yeah. got like a uh an audience there I assume that like you know when you're in in the Melbourne Comedy Festival like you know you're always sold out weeks in advance how has it been being like back on the road are you sort of do you feel new again yeah and in kind of you know we were just talking off mic um technical industry term um (laughs) about like yeah this is my I'm doing my first UK tour and it is like I'm in some venues that are wildly smaller than and than I would usually do and uh in it, and it's great because it, it's I'm you. It, I don't know. This, this is a very douchey way to say this, but I did like a, a kind of retour of my show from last year in some kind of quite big rooms. Sure. And it. Uh, what are we talking? Give us numbers. Oh, not like, but like a couple thousand. Like yeah, I mean that's big. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. Big. Like at the that's like the biggest. Sure. Like um, and it it. It, I did it for about a week and a half just doing a, in a different major city in Australia every yeah, night. Yeah, lovely. Um, and it was, I tell you what, I recommend <laughs> touring that way. Yeah, but right? it removed the intimacy sure. from what I enjoy. I'm not a, I don't talk to people on stage. I don't do any crowd work or anything like that. But I like to see people. Mm-hmm. And they were, and it just it meant the show was like, okay, I'm going to talk for an hour and ten minutes and there's going to be no relationship here. And I realised you know, as snarky as we can be and, you know, as we get more successful and blah, 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 and, like, I like money. I, sure. <laughs> I undeniably like money. But it it I, it made me almost kind of go, like, oh, next year I think I want to do it differently where I'm in smaller rooms and then do a couple big ones at the end or something. Yeah, I don't yeah, know, like, yeah. because it, 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 you can see how performers, we all know a few performers who start to get a bit... Like, if you're losing the whites of the eyes of the people in the crowd, you're kind of losing the, and this sounds so wanky, but, the, like, the humanity of what yeah, we're well, doing. Yeah, you, well, you, then you're, you're just sort of performing into a vacuum. Yeah, and that's what, like, you know, I think it's it's more of a thing in this country than it is in Australia, but um, just because of population, but, like, the arena comedy. The stadium com- comics, yeah. And I get it. I totally get it. And I get why Adele only comes to Australia for one night. Like, I understand. But to, I, I'm sure, you know, if if they, it just seems kind of, you're writing the show for a noise, not a relationship. Right, yeah. And so, I don't know, I'm doing a really roundabout way to say, like, I'm looking forward to the tour here. Yes. Because it also makes me, it snaps you out of, it snaps you back into the show. Yeah, and you stop just performing it like a play. Yeah, which I've been doing. You can see people nodding, and you're like, oh, yeah, okay, like, yeah, you're that person. Okay, I'm going to look at and you. And reacting to a noise. And yeah. reacting, like, if a room is too big and the noise happens, you go, what was that? And But not everyone's heard it. Most people don't know what yeah. you're talking about. Yeah. I don't know. It looks like you're having an existential crisis. And look, by the end of it, I might be like, listen, I think I like the bigger rooms. <laughs> I owe a production company a lot of money now. Yeah, I need, I, I need the bigger rooms, guys. I need them. So quite often on this podcast, we go sort of chronologically. And sure. because there's lots of lies about you and your Wikipedia yeah. page. <laughs> yeah, yeah. After all of them uh, put on by me. And I have done some research, but there's not there's not loads and loads about you personally, other than stuff that you shared in yeah. stand up. So whereabouts did you grow up? I grew up in a place called Newcastle yes. in Australia, on the east coast. I've been. Yes. Oh, have you on Roadshow? Road yeah. yeah. Um, you played the um, the Civic Theatre there. Yeah. Which is like 
a lovely but um, very, very, very uh, gaudy. I want to film a special there one day because it is so over. I don't know if you remember it. Yeah, but it's it like is, gold. It's gold, and like for this little coastal town. They've, They've really got gone this for it. glorious, like, yeah. really over the top, like, opera happens there, but usually it's like a Johnny Cash tribute act. And, and you know what? Maybe he deserves that. Yeah. Like. Hey. <laughs> and that, to me, like, having access to that, Newcastle is, uh, I'm trying to, what's an example? It's a, it's a big city next to Sydney. Right. So it's like the next rung down. So it means sure. that we often, even though I lived in a kind of coastal, sleepy town, we got like all the big acts would come through to tour, mm. so we we got like you know Lady Gaga when like, wow. on her first tour played in Newcastle, like things like that. So you kind of and often we are. I've only found this out recently. Uh, Newcastle and Australia, so Newcastle, they big because of the type of population we have there. Uh, often people become hits there more than they become first so they go right. like they fill up Newcastle before they fill up Sydney and they McDonald's <laughs> McDonald's trials their burgers in Newcastle before they trial them everywhere else and new and Australia does that for the rest of the world that's no why we got way. McCafe bef- before anyone else oh. is that the most boring thing i've ever said no in my i think life? we're always learning and yeah. i love it so you were born in 1990 yeah what was the vibe in Newcastle like in the early nineties? What, what do you remember as a kid there? It's a pre- it's a pretty aggressive place. Like it's sure. a lot. It's pretty gentrified now. But uh-huh. when I lived there, it was a steelworks had just gone out of business. Right. I was I describe it on stage as it feels like the first half an hour of Billy Elliot. Right. Okay. Like, so yeah. So it sort of has a lot of parallels to like the northeast of England totally. during that time. Like pretty uh, grump. But this there's, there's this constant kind of feel, like my parents are both artists and moved there for kind of. My mum grew up there and they moved there for kind of economic reasons sure. to be close to family. But it has this, like, you know, like, a rough towns that just have an arts community trying their hardest right. to rehabilitate it. But right. for as long as I lived there, I lived there for 18 years, there was always some community going, we're going to revitalise Newcastle, everyone. And while the main drag of Newcastle is just this, like, dead ghost town. Right. And so it's getting better now, but, like, even, it would have even when you were there, would have seemed a bit dead. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like yeah it wasn't nothing- vibe. It wasn't like where are we going after. It's spread out and weird. <laughs> yeah, and it's ten times better than what it was when I was a kid. Right, sure. Like it's a big uni town, but no one really. I don't know. It was. It's a. It's an aggressive. It has the feeling of. I know. Like an example I've, I've used before is, this is the type of, type of mentality of Newcastle. Like we, because of all the mining, there was all these open holes in in and kids kept falling down the mine shaft in like the really? 90s and so they invented a cartoon character called Mori the Mole that was in like the newspapers and would be at football games like a big plush version and he was his whole job was to tell kids to stop playing around mine shafts because that's how bored everyone was we rather just than filling jump- out the mine shafts yeah no it was, it, was just, like- it was Swiss cheese down there too expensive and the and the mining and the steelworks they just were left abandoned like and there was all this in- leftover industrial smog and blah 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 so not a huge but so there was a like I was a I moved out when I was eighteen. Very close with my family, very good relationship with yeah. my family. But was like, I gotta go. I'm out this of here. ain't for me. And yeah. you know, I had like little drama clubs and all that kind of thing. And I went to a great performing arts school. But it was this kind of if you weren't a skater or a surfer, or didn't want to be a teacher, right? Newcastle was not really useful to you. And because you're saying about. The mines. I'm thinking of like kind of jockey Australian guys. Yeah, Would yeah, that yeah. be right? Totally. Like, you know, and again, it's changing. Things are getting better, but it was very, uh, and I, I think it, it shaped 
how I became. Like, I was very out. I came out pretty early. Right, okay. And I think it's because there was a few of us at my school. It was like a reaction to it. Like, in retrospect, probably braver than I thought I was being at the time. But I think, you know, I think some people kind of go into cocoon mm-hmm. and then some people over, like, I was overcompensating, if anything. Sure. But it was like, I'm not just going to be gay. I'm going to be a fucking faggot. <laughs> and I'm going to, I want you to see what that looks like. And so, right. you know, bright hair. Yeah. Like, I used to wear a fur coat around from time to time when I was like 15. And how was that? Not how- well, not well, Susie. <laughs> Yeah. Anticipating your question. <laughs> yeah. How was that? So did you have like a gang of theatrical pals? Kind of. I think I was a bit of a floater right. in school, like hopped in and around. Yeah. And, yeah, um, same. Yeah. And, you know, had like a group of female friends and then had a couple kind of later on in high school kind of queer friends. But none of us really... Um, I had like for a while quite rough friends, like in a good... I had this were my closest friends in kind of early to mid high school and early primary school who was like a real, his parents were shift workers and so we could do whatever and we were always setting stuff on fire at his house. (laughs) And looking back on it now, it's quite strange that they were these quite gruff boys, skate like skatery boys and really aggressive. And I, it was like, I was like their, their sister that they'd had to look after or something like they were, and they were really protective of me and really like, it was very, it's a very strange it's very sweet. Yeah, and I don't think I appreciated it at the time. Yeah. But, and looking at it now, it's like, yeah, I was like, we'd go to his house and like we'd be out all night running around the street, like, you know, throwing bottles at things and like there was yeah. a dilapidated house down the street and we like used to... Yeah, see if you can break the windows. Basi- like basically. Yeah, and then like, cop- and just cops! And then everyone runs. Um, and at the time it felt really... And I think my parents probably were a bit worried. But yeah, though it was this very sweet thing. And I think it was like this little pocket of kind of quite sensitive men who, like, later... And, like, a few of them have moved to London since and kind of were just trying to shake off. And then a few of them have absolutely drug-addled at home still. Sure. But, um, you know, I'm glad I didn't hang around that group forever. Yeah. But it was a real... I think that was a really... And not to make it too, like, earnest, but that was a huge part of me being quite comfortable with myself. Yeah. Because there were these quite rough skated boys. That just sort of took you as you were. Yeah. Like, I remember the... And I'm going to say the F word again. Um, I never know how people... Someone... How how are we feeling about the word faggot these days? I mean, I think different people feel different things about it. Yeah. I had... uh, See, we we use the word fag for cigarettes. Yeah. As well. And it seems Americans really wince at it. Yeah. Uh, If you say that on stage. Because I say it a lot. Like, not, you know... To at no, people yeah, in the at street. people shout from cars. Um, <laughs> look, I'm giving mine back. I got it for 18 years. They can get it now. Oh, but truly, though, in a kind of uh, I, one of my favorite things is to call, especially like a straight male comic, calling someone backstage a faggot and watching their heads kind of explode is like, stop being a faggot, Brendan. Yeah. And just watching them go, like, I, I don't yeah, think we- I'm allowed to say that. But, <laughs> yeah, but, and but I don't know what? if you're allowed to say that, Jimmy. <laughs> but I had a quite young queer comic tell me I said it backstage recently at a club and they were like they weren't like preachy about it or anything and I'm all for moving forward and that's why I'm that's why I'm checking um and they were like oh I don't know if we're saying that anymore and I was like I think we are aren't we like you know what I mean like it was this yeah. kind of strange thing of like is that not a word I'm allowed to use okay anyways well it was definitely something that would be like on protest boards at pride mm. like faggots yeah. standing it, up for their rights or what you know you see easy it. to, it, it's a good rhyme 
Yeah, sure. Rhymes with a lot of stuff. Feels, it feels good in your mouth. Yeah. Without, Don't you we, know. Hey, am I right? <laughs> um, oh. um, but I... Why did I say this again? Oh, You're talking about the kid at school. I had this and- memory of, like, so his older brother... I won't name him, but his older brother was, like, a bit mean to us. And he uh, was, like, came in and was being mean to me once and made some made some reference to me being queer. And my friend kind of stood up and went, hey, Reese might be gay, but at least they're not a faggot. And it 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 is so funny to me. And, yeah. like, kind of a perfect embodiment of what those boys were like is, yeah. like, oh, I don't care that you're gay. I mean, I don't want you to be, like, a faggot. That'd be, yeah. Like, I don't know. Like, it was just this straight... I don't know what that meant in his head. His head I don't yeah. know what he thought that meant. But it was definitely... There was definitely love in there. Yeah, 100%. And it's that whole thing of, like, looking back on out. I was 100% in love with him. Yeah, sure. And, like, there was... And who knows? Who knows whether... Something could have happened. Sure. But, no. Yeah. Anyway. And so, you growing up with... You said that both your parents are artists. Yeah. And so, did they, they were in, like, the artsy scene. Yeah. Like, mum owns a lot of brooches. Sure. Um... <laughs> A lot of, a lot of drapey clothes. Oh, um, love. And she became... So my dad is... I imagine your mother is Tilda Swinton, just because of how you of. sort of... Because I feel like you're quite Tilda Swinton. Oh, thank you. That's the, that I is the like, vibe I'm going for. Yeah. I purposely don't fill in my eyebrows for exactly that reason when I'm wearing a lot of makeup. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? She kind of doesn't have yeah, features like, that way. Like She yeah. has lips and she has eyes. Yeah, it's like that's she's, all she has. someone's carrying around a very big light. Yeah. And they're just bleaching her out. Oh. I'm sad that she's not really a redhead anymore because there was a real good time. That yeah, I wanted good to have for a, you, good for her. I wanted to have a coffee table book for a while that was just like, that no one would make, <laughs> that was just um, one side of the page was, or one side of it was a still from a Tilda Swinton movie and the other side was meticulously recreated with just me in it. Love it. And, you know, hey, we'll get a, we'll get a GoFundMe. Do people still do GoFundMe's? <laughs> I don't know. No. I feel like you don't know what people are doing. Do people still do this? Do we still say yeah, that? Yeah, I know. I'm like, so confused. Got no idea. <laughs> I've, just, I've just gotten off the train. It's very busy out there. It's very busy in London today. Too busy, arguably. I'm just using this as really more of a, a question and answer. Yeah, that's um, fine. People get involved. My parents, artsy people, mum became an art teacher in Uh the end. Like, I think just financially it Mm -hmm. was getting a bit rough. And uh, you became a teacher and is now a principal. Uh, But, yeah, so very, very open-minded people, like structure, and were terrified of me becoming a comedian, I think, because they had had a lot of troubles being artists. Right, sure. I think they were like, ooh, we do not want this life for you. And because they were in sort of an artsy scene, does that mean that you were sort of exposed to queer people yeah. as a young person? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you knew that we existed. You 100%. knew that that was an okay thing to be. You knew that people could have kind of happy lives. Yes. And I think, you know, if definitely I was just by being in media. Like, you know, we were about the same age, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. like I'm a little older. Yeah, you know. a little, just a tinsy. Just now, how, a how old are you? I'm 37. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, same. Sure. Like four, four years difference. Okay. But so we grew up in like the era of television where everything on like Laura Not SVU, any kind of queer character was, they were present. It was a big moment that they were present, but they were quite tragic figures. Yeah, And quite sure. like, well, maybe if they weren't gay, maybe they wouldn't have been murdered in that daily way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or it would be about the AIDS crisis. Yeah. Or it would be. Or it would be Ice T trying to work out what a trans person is desperately. Yeah. Um,. <laughs> The uh, But now, he actually ended up becoming the most open-minded of the group. Uh, but, so, yeah, very much like mum's best friend, Neil, is queer and mm-hmm. that type of thing. Very around it. But And and I think what was quite useful to me, like, I, d- I don't have, like, a crazy coming out story because mm. it was really 
my parents kind of were aware. Sure. And very lightly eased me into it, I reckon. Like, right. I remember, like, my mum, when I was, like, maybe 10 or 11, was just basically saying, like, I, I must have asked, like, what being gay was or something. We were talking yeah. about it. And she just made a pretty clear point of, like, you know, if you were that, that'd be fine, right? And just there was, like, a few years of that, of just sure. light prodding. And I realised that I try not to take that for granted as much no. as I can. No, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. A, even for the time, even, like, it's only 20 years ago, but still wild. Huge, huge, wonderful. And I think they also removed, by being raised that way, removed sex from it as well, in a way. Like, Mm. I think I knew I was queer before I knew what queer sex was, if that makes sense. Right, Like, I knew there was this other lifestyle that I think I wanted in on. Yeah. Like, even down to, like, they showed me Priscilla when I was far too young for it. They showed me Rocky Horror when I was far too young for it. And fast-forwarded through all the rude bits, but it was on VHS, so I saw it all just quicker. <laughs> I mean, I love it. Yeah, yeah, basically, like, Tim Curry going down on Suzanne Sarandon just fast. Yeah, fast. yeah, just getting it done. Yeah. Just getting it done. Um, And so was kind of exposed to everything, but it, but wasn't aware of, like... You know, I think often young people's first introduction to being queer is, like well, you know they do this, right? Or you know they do that. Right. Like, you know, a lot of straight boys are so freaked out by it because they learn what anal sex is. Yeah, right. And that becomes like a visceral response. Yeah, yeah, Whereas yeah. I think I was more like... Oh, is that what we do? Yeah. Like, I was a bit like, oh, that seems like a lot of preparation. <laughs> but I, by that point, I was already aware of like, oh, there are these like incredible costumes and like yeah. these incredible... And so they kind of by pure accident, I think, introduced me to the queer world through the colour and movement of it and not the tragedy or the sex of it. Yeah. And so it meant by the time I was learning those things, you've got this scale yeah. that is kind of piling up a little bit. And do you think that's why you had the confidence to wear that fur coat? Because at home yeah. it was like, yeah. well, we love you. And I think, look, I was, and I think I'm, I'm an incredibly anxious person and I was bullied wildly. Right. But I think it was the... That, you know, the classic thing of, you know, I think I got funny because of that. And yeah, yeah, that yeah, type yeah, of thing. Yeah, like, yeah, I think yeah. we're same, all same, same. versions yeah. of that. Um, but Sorry, no, that, made that me going same, same, same really no, no. undermines what you've just said, but I totally no, no, relate no. to that. And I think it's like, it's almost, a, it's a, such a cliche at this mm. point. Um, but, yeah, I think it did give me the kind of power because I knew I, I didn't love school. It was fine, but I was always... There was always... I, I figured there was going to be another... I don't know where... And I think all of us that become stand-ups or any kind of performers, there's a delusion involved that we can't explain. Like, to because we're all bad for the first at least two years and oh, you just keep hammering yeah. through. And I had that from a pretty early age. Like, I really... I knew I wanted to be a comedian from about 13, 14. Really? So, what yeah. comics had you seen? Well, so in Australia, they like just from TV, like yeah. from the gala, like yes, the, of there's course. this thing in Australia called the gala, and it's kind of like it's on once a year, and it's I guess it's a version of Live at the Apollo, yeah. but it's during Melbourne Comedy Festival, and it'll have like 30 comedians on it, and it's your yearly access mm-hmm. to comedy, and it was before YouTube, and we had all the VHSs of it, huh. and huh. I would. That's watch, so cool that you them. must have done it loads of times now. Yeah, the, yeah. The, 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 oh, that you had them on VHS. I hosted That's it so last lovely. year, and it was oh, like awesome. or the year before, and it was what it was like. I turned them down the first time because I, I was like, oh, oh no, <laughs> like because it's not like 
it's the I, I wanted to be felt feel ready for it. Yeah, right. Like yeah, it's yeah. a thing. And then uh, I was talking to my agent. She was like, "What are you doing?" And I went, "You're right." <laughs> <laughs> um, the yeah, and so I I think comics have this thing where we either people get people's stories that like they get kind of pushed into it somehow like a friend signed me up for an yeah. open mic night or something they always told me i was funny or i started doing it at uni i then then there's the other side which is just like obsessed with it yeah from a really early age yep. was bad at it for a long time and learned to get good at it like yep. it was always funny but yeah we're given a lot of opportunities and things but just like i gotta get in yeah like a work get in. Yeah, yeah, yeah 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 and because it just there didn't really seem another option and what was that like so you know i i guess we started stand up a similar time ago about 12 yeah. years ago i started yeah. properly and yeah it's prop properly is the thing isn't it like because yeah. i would be about 12 years properly but like 15 years if we count like once every month or yeah something, yeah, and yeah, like... yeah yeah or like having a go at a Monologue slam. Yeah, exactly. Um, what the fuck is a monologue slam? It's when people write monologues and they do it. Slam them. Yeah, they fucking slam on each other's faces. <laughs> no, it's um, <laughs> it's uh, yeah, but like new like new writers can give a monologue to, if you like working oh. up a thing. It's like a, a cool thing that happens sort of in yeah. artsy. They probably do it at, like the Soho Theatre. I'd love that. Occasionally, I'd love to, people I'd just love to go stuff. to that. Yeah, just people trying a thing. It's nice. It's great. Isn't that the curse of our jobs? And we have very nice jobs. Yeah. And they at times give us ludicrous amounts of money for very little work. <laughs> but it removes nighttime from your life yeah, if you're yeah, successful. Yeah, sure. And like, I just want to go to stuff. I really miss Yeah, stuff. but it's about how you... Now, I, now I'm very good at taking time off. Yeah, me too. I'm getting yeah. good at it. I think you got it. Yeah. Because for a long time, success looked like me working every night. And now success looks like me not, not working every night. Oh my God. To say no... What oh. a dream. I yeah. want to be here it's now. It's a privilege. <laughs> <laughs> I he kid, was... I kid. <laughs> but then I hey. also have that busy, that busy head thing where my partner and I just have, had not been on a holiday for over a year. Yeah. And, um, we also come from different... But he comes from a... He comes from money, and that is not saying anything about him. He's not, yeah. He doesn't seem that way. Yeah. Um, but we have very different relationships to money. Sure. And so I'm of the... Uh, my subconscious tells me if I'm not working, I am not just not making money. I am hemorrhaging money. Yeah, right. Money is roaring out of me. Yeah. And um, but no, he can. We just went to Greece for a week, and I tell very you what, nice. very quickly was into holidays. Yeah, right. Because you guys own a comedy club. Yes. In Melbourne. Yeah, yeah, yeah in Melbourne. It's uh, like a coffee shop. There's a comedy club. It's like a. It's like a. It's called Comedy Republic. It's like a. We call it like a. I mean, the, a douchey way of saying it, it's like a comedy theater. Oh, like, nice! But it's it's a hundred and fifty something seats, so it's little. But that's so nice. Yeah, and we want to be like the dream is to be a kind of like um, two north down style, like that type of where yeah you can see or maybe a little bit um twenty one Soho yeah, like the, yeah yeah that where kind like of vibe. big people will drop in but yes. there's newer comics coming through as well yeah like it's you we want you trust the the venue not the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, nice. you can go and see something. Because yeah. nothing like that really exists in Melbourne. It's all bar right? shows. Ah, that's so cool. And then yeah. is it like a... Why do I think it's a coffee shop? Is it a coffee shop in the daytime? We we used to have that. That's right, what you're thinking. Okay. There was a venue we had years ago that okay. was like a... And we made it into a coffee shop and then the pandemic happened. And it killed it. And it killed it. Sure. Yeah. God, um, that's so cool that you've got a comedy club. Yeah, it's not. It's like... 
I've for the irony of it being we've had it for like almost three years and I've performed there ten times. Right. <laughs> because it, like I'll just hop up. Sometimes I'll just hop up yeah. there and like, what are they gonna do? Not book me? <laughs> but then whenever I'm there I just wanna have drinks with my friends and watch some comedy. Watch some comedy. Yeah. Like it's because I've watched far more comedy than I have in years purely That's by just so going nice. to shows. Like That's we so just fun. book things that we want to see. Yeah, great. Why That's not? Quite nice. That's really lovely. And so what I was going to ask was when I started, and I don't know how I guess that there must be some similarities to Australia. Mm. So it was it felt dangerous coming out sometimes. Mm. It felt hostile mm-hmm. when I did, and it would be the only thing that I would be heckled for. I yeah. think that certainly in London and in the bigger cities now in the UK, it's a lot more progressive. Yeah. But when I started, it was like people didn't mind shouting out "Dyke." Like, yeah. no one that that was, and and they wouldn't get kicked out for that. No. Nah. And this is a de- like you know a little more than a decade ago. Which, but in the scheme of things, is not that long ago. No, nothing at all. Like it's like know, that. Dear listeners, as long as you've known who we are, yeah, people have been getting called dykes and faggots yeah. in comedy clubs. Yeah. Like that's yeah, it's wild. And I how was that? How was that in Australia? I definitely got that. Yeah, I was. Lucky that I kind of moved to Sydney mm-hmm. when I was about 18 and had an in into a comedy club called The Comedy Store there. Yeah. No relation to any other comedy store. In fact, uh, litigation happened in the 70s because of it. Right. Um, the uh, They have framed on the wall at the Sydney Comedy Store a signed Mitzi Shaw cease and desist letter from, like, the LA. <laughs> Anyways, it's very funny to me. And I got kind of shoveled into this, and it was, at the time, a kind of dying comedy club. Right. That era of... Like, the comedy bubble was over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got in just as it was bursting, too. Yeah. And, it like, it was maybe... What are we talking? Like, I reckon 2008? Well, yeah, financial crash. People yes. weren't going to comedy. People weren't going to stuff anymore. And there was that turnover. We're the beginning of the turnover mm-hmm. of comics. There was a lot of grumpy old dudes... Yep, 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 yep. Who yep. Had that maybe, we had to gig with a lot. Yeah. And who had maybe, like, minor TV gigs in the, like, early 2000s, late yep. 90s. Yeah. And were just furious those TV gigs didn't exist yep. anymore and cocaine wasn't as available anymore. Yeah, and we'd think that we would, like, they would, like, do bits where you'd be like, I'm sure that's someone else's yeah. gear. Like, I'm sure that's someone else's material. And they were all about the rules. Yeah. Like, all about, like, I remember so many, like, yeah, so many kind of guys just... And also thinking, this is when I, I like, developed my kind of... Part of a reaction to people shouting out and stuff. Yeah. I became re- my first kind of persona i guess i was so aggressive yeah like i, was I can really... remember you being sharper on like not sharper as no, in wit no i know but what you you're sharper tongued yeah i was quite cruel like and quite and i think it's something that a lot of queer broadly speaking but like queer comics do this thing sometimes especially like boy comics have become you know uh i i was even though by by the time i was 24 i was in already a long-term relationship but was being like a slut on stage and being really yeah. like, I'm going to be, to to remove the shouting out, I'm going to be exactly what you yeah. think I am yeah. and then I'm going to arc it up. And at the time I totally thought, and I probably was, thought I was doing some sort of, well, then I'm going to turn it around on them and they're going to real, like, but in a 15-minute comedy set, you're not doing that. Yeah. Um, And so I ended up just being quite an aggressive. I wanted to be, because the comics that I loved as well were, Kind of early Sarah Silverman, which, mm-hmm. like, hasn't dated well, and even she admits that. Mm. Um, but there was, like, a power to it. Joan Rivers. Like, Joan Rivers, yeah, like, that type of thing. Like, these really fast-talking, really quite um, dicey material. Mm-hmm. And so I had a lot of, like, 
full on, like, you know, not, I, I didn't have any like AIDS jokes or anything, but like that kind of thing, even kind of Jim Jeffries-y style yeah. kind of thing. Because I think you, when you first start sometimes, comics think are confusing a shock with a laugh. Yes. And I think we came up at a time when shock was like a yes. real thing. You either had the... Uh, Whimsy. Whimsy and like, yeah, uh, uh, Dimitri Martin strumming at a guitar, mm-hmm. like whispering things into a microphone, or you had these like furious kind of... And the trickle-down effect of that has been really lovely is that now I think when you go to, say, Edinburgh now, there's a lot of these kind of angry but soft-hearted big boys Yeah. now. Do you know what I mean? These like really... Like an example, this is a weird example, but uh, Glenn Wool was someone that really looked after me when I was a kid. Yeah. And, like, he doesn't do it as much anymore, but these guys that kind of straight guys that put on this persona on stage but off stage were really soft and yeah. lovely. And and I think I hadn't learnt I was like really hard I used to drink two double vodka Red Bulls before I went on stage. Whoa, that so I is was tanked and also like wildly energetic. Yeah. So my inhibitions were low and my yeah. hold of the room was low. And I know that when we've had other stand-ups on the show, like May or t- I think I had the conversation with Tom and maybe Alan as well, we've said, and I don't know if you, you agree as well, often we would, our first couple of gags would be at the expense of ourselves yeah. so that they couldn't say it. Oh, it was like a little joke of what I, I used to say. Um, I, uh, like many men, End of sentence. And it was just like a dumb little, like, yeah. but then I would, and then I would say, like, jokes about me being a slut or something. And something that I've noticed through the club is that those jokes don't exist anymore. Mm. Like, the you, the kind of new queer comics that are coming up, whether they are non binary or trans or queer in any kind of way, nothing. Mm. Like, and if they do, they're, they're brand new. Like, yeah. they're brand new babies who still haven't, like, and it's so heartening. Like seeing yeah. a twenty-two-year-old just be like, "Yeah," and yeah. like a more kind of like any questions, fuckheads type of vibe, which is also similarly aggressive. But there's just a nice level of not othering. Yes, which I think you know. And do you think that would happen all over? Like, is that happening in many places in Australia, or do you think that it's? I think it's growing. Mm. I think purely by just. You know, it's at the time of recording. It's like it's Pride Month mm-hmm. around a lot of places, and companies are real cashing in on a lot of yeah, right. And it's like it's a toxic thing. And then at the same time, I see that as like, oh, they want our money, which trickles down into, and it is so toxic. I understand that, but by seeing like a pink a, a rainbow ATM or something. There's this weird trickle-down effect of yeah. people being like... Oh, okay. Oh, if, well, if they want our money, I guess it's okay to be alive. <laughs> and, like, I'm not excusing the horrible no, 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 reason no, no, behind no, no, the companies no, I, doing this. I know exactly what you mean. And, and I do like seeing a rainbow. Yeah. And I'm getting like money it. out. These are some of my favourite things. I think it's happening most places. And, look, it's I'm not ignoring the huge step backwards that we're going through at the moment. No, yeah, and yeah, for sure. But but it, I guess what I'm saying is I'm really I I think a lot of that is happening by the middle aged middle classes. Yes, I, I think that is not happening. Like when we have a young crowd, it's like dreamy. Yeah, it's also strange. Have you noticed this in our older age? Like what used I used to thrive on like a like a 23 year old 
crowd. Mm-hmm. And now I'm like, oh, I'm talking about stuff that they don't really understand. Yeah, 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 for sure. And it's only 10 years difference. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm already yeah. like, oh, no. I think uh, melting. it's... Um, yeah, you, you sort of... You're, you're, you kind of want your audience to grow with you, don't you? Yeah. And already when I make little... Because I still have leftovers, and I'm sure you do too, like mm. subconscious leftovers of what we used to be like, those little jokes at our own expense. Like, I try not to, but if I make, you know, just even an offhanded comment about, like, being queer or something on stage, and you sometimes feel the younger audience go... Yeah, don't do that. Yeah, don't do that. That's not what we're about. We don't do that anymore. Yeah, and it, yeah, exactly. And, and then like, you feel like And then the I dinosaur. say faggot, and suddenly I'm cancelled. <laughs> yeah, nightmare. Yeah. At what point was it when you were... When you stopped being that sort of version of, you know, that sharper, meaner, ver- like when did when were you self-loathing? <laughs> well, I, do you know what? that's the word I was going to use, but yeah. I didn't know if it was too hard because I no, think that one hundred percent. Because I think that a lot of or self-worth. My, yeah, I think a lot of my internalized homophobia came out at, at my expense on stage. Yeah. Um, which was lovely for everyone to witness. Yeah, <laughs> you know, ten years ago at the Edinburgh Fringe, and it's like that. Yeah, the um, any kind of joke that's like, um, you know, for your if your case might be like, you know, because I'm a lesbian. Like any, yeah. you know what I mean? Like a kind of setup where the, the punchline is because I'm a lesbian. Yeah, yeah, mine yeah. Would, like yeah, mine would be like because I'm gay. Yeah, and it's like <laughs> you've usually set up some awful <laughs> circumstance. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it stopped around. I ha- I literally have a moment where I become good friends with Zoe Kumsma. Yes. This, yeah, incredible comedian. And Love Zoe. Later, my wife. Yeah, I want to um, talk about that just briefly. Yeah. Um, the I'm forever happy to talk about it because I had such little to do with the actual mechanism of it that I, it's like a I, I got to be part of something. Anyways, we'll get to it. Um, the I was starting to hate my act, and I was right. only about 23, but just didn't believe it anymore and I think when you go to we're used now to writing a new show every year Mm -hmm. and blah 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 before that when you've just got your little dinky 20 minutes that when you're sick of a joke you slide it out and put a new one in the idea of starting again is impossible Mm -hmm. and I was like complaining about like oh I just hate what I do because she was like she's a pretty incredible you got to look up Zoe's work yeah Um, she is multi-award winning but kind of does this experimental kind of stand-up which sounds awful. Yeah, it sounds terrible but it is wonderful. Yeah. Like she, she does this character called Dave who's like yeah. who's kind of like the comics that we were describing beforehand. Yeah. Like but it's perfect. This lost open micer that never got, got anywhere and is in perpetual stand-up but then she, the shows are kind of theatrical and she's won yeah, most of the main All the awards. awards yeah. yeah. Um, and she's a pretty staunch and unapologi- unapologetic kind of politically minded person but at the same time is really silly and mm-hmm. like quite approachable about such things yeah and uh, she took a sh- we were just nice to me she was nice to me and uh, we were, I was just complaining backstage drunk once and she just sat me down literally put her hands on my shoulders and just went then stop doing them and like <laughs> sorry about the language but it was like oh yeah like I don't know she literally shook it out of me just going yeah. like just Change the jokes. Yeah. You're in charge of this. You are not the act. The act yeah. is you. And that sounds very... I feel like I'm being very wanky about it. But, like... And I did. And I kind of started to do... And I think we all do it, like, you start doing what you think is funny, mm-hmm. not what you hope the audience thinks is mm-hmm. funny. And I started doing it then. And then things kicked off a little bit more. And then talk to me about her being your wife. So this was happening... Yeah. So this is when... Before you had marriage equality... Yeah. 
in Australia. So, so like, you tell the story. I won't two, ham-fist it. 2015, not that long ago. No, really, really. Um, We, and so, yeah, it was around the, this time. So, like, we were doing Edinburgh Fringe, Zoe and I, and it, it, it was maybe a year or two after she'd shaken me. And my work was getting better, I think. And we were just doing a show together. And purely by the fact that we were doing a show together meant that my work was getting better. Um, And she, often when she's dressed as Dave, she ends up covered in fake blood at the end and covered in thick. And I was wearing a very crisp white suit backstage. And we were standing next to a mirror. And I said, oh, my God, we look like the worst gay toppers on a cake (laughs) She had, like, fake hair on her face. And, like, we look like a very unhappy couple. We laughed about it. We went and got drunk. We were eating breakfast the next morning. And this is the thing about Zoe as well. She is constantly percolating ideas. Uh-huh. And they're not simple ideas. They're often really bonkers, complicated things. Right. And uh, I, I, she said, like, I've had this idea. I think we should get married. And I was like, okay. <laughs> like, I didn't... I was, I was confused. And she said, I think we should be the first... As a protest, we should be the first gay marriage in Australia, but it's a gay woman marrying a, 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 another a gay man at the time. I'm saying they now, but it's hard. It's hard in retrospect to talk sure, about. Sure, 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 sure. Um, That's okay. And, language uh, evolves as we do. What am I doing? Who and can we say that? And we thought about it and thought about it, and then yeah, we're like, okay, yeah, maybe that's an idea, and maybe we could approach Melbourne Comedy Festival, and maybe that's it. And it was like very iffy. We called our partners and said that we were engaged, and that was very funny to us at the time. <laughs> And we were expecting, you know, the Melbourne Comedy Festival was a government-funded sure. thing, and we were very, we offered, we just sent them an email going, this is an idea that we've had, and we think it could be funny as a charity event if we got married. And expecting them to be like, they, they launched at the idea and produced this incredible night that there's footage of it online, and it just kind of came together. Gadsby, honey, Gadsby, Gadsby, was, the Gadsby was married you? She, no, she was the host. Sure, sure, sure. And we had asked her... You know, just write something at the start, like a funny little thing. Yeah. And then she did this quite incredible 12-minute speech. A lot of it ended up in the net. Like oh, the kind right, okay, of There yeah. were sections of it that... I'm not, I'm not saying that our wedding kicked <laughs> no, 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 We didn't single-handedly change comedy. Um, but And it turned into this, like, huge thing where we had choirs and there was synchronised fights breaking out in... <laughs> This in the audience and like pre-planned, pre-planned. Yes, sure, sure, that, sure. I couldn't think of the word. That's why I said choreographed. Choreographed. Sure. Yeah. Um, bad guy. Uh, and uh, yeah, there was a, all these crazy huge things. At the end, we wanted to sign a will, so Will Anderson, who's this huge Australian comedian, came out and we signed him. And it was this kind of just—I don't know how to explain it without kind of you seeing footage of it or it. it in the room, it felt like the most special thing I'm ever going to get to be a part of because we were kind of, there was this palpable feeling in the world, in the room, and in the world at the time, like the vote was coming up. Yes. And at the same you time- you got to vote on it. We didn't. Yeah. So it's a different, it was a slightly different thing here where it was just and it, and it, and people it was, in another room deciding our fate, whereas there was yeah. like, you know, you were trying to get like people on board. Well, because it wasn't a, it, you didn't have to vote. It was yeah, a plebiscite. Yeah, right, okay, sure. But government money was put in equally to both sides of the argument. <sighs> so, like, you had, like, bus signs being like... Yay! Yeah, yay, or like, don't. <laughs> oh, God. Don't do it. This is what's going to happen. And it really boiled up the kind of... You know, I think as queer people, we grow up... Being married had never 
really interested me. And I think it's because we, and this is a very basic thought, but we don't have fairy tale, like you don't see it, yeah. so you don't imagine it. And yeah. I think that's why almost instinctively we have these like, well, I never want to be married. Like, because I don't want it anyway. Because I don't want it anyway. And, and because it just never appears available to us. Yeah. And it kind of bubbled up all this pretty grim shit again and everyone was pretty angry. And and at the same time during the festival, Zoe had been nominated for Best Show and I'd been nominated for the Best Show. And so it was also this kind of weird, artsy, big thing. But then in the room, like, Hannah's doing this incredible speech and in the point of the... Cause, so legally... I'm explaining this so badly. Legally uh, in Australia before the plebiscite, you, you had to say, you know, in the ceremony, marriage is between a man and a woman to the exclusion of all others. That was legally had to be said at the wedding. And so when we said that, we had this big banner roll down at the back with those words on it, <laughs> like huge, like the size of the stage, to Amazing. be like, just look at that. <laughs> like, yeah. because it's this thing that's been said for generations and no one really thought about it. Uh, oh, no, it came in, John Howard brought it in. It was the Protection of Marriage Act. Fun. And we ended up raising a whole bunch of money. Yeah for minus 18 this i don't know it, it's i'm moving all over the place with it but it was just this uh really like an artsy protest yeah and it also it you made you got hit it activated me a little bit right That's like it did like yeah it, it it by hanging out with people like zoe you know i think it's really easy to i think even 10 years ago it was easier to be a pretty flippant queer mm-hmm. like nothing felt you know, there was kind of a status quo, mm-hmm. I think, for a while there, where marriage didn't seem available to us, so we weren't fighting for it. I'm talking broad strokes. Yeah, like, totally, for most yeah I, know, people, I know exactly like, what you mean. I know exactly we kind of just were like, ah, well, you know, they're not killing us in the streets anymore, and there's not, as you know, the, the fear of this deadly disease is yeah. not as prevalent anymore, and... You know, we're in TV shows, so I guess this is us now. Yeah, and I think it's very easy to just assume that... We we don't like. Obviously, I don't think it's anymore. But there was certainly a time when I'd be like, "Well, maybe we don't deserve everything because yeah, of this." One hundred percent. Maybe I don't deserve to have the nice life because I've got this horrible thing about me. Yeah, which I obviously don't feel like anymore. But that's and, certainly and how I felt. Probably didn't realize you felt that way at the time either. Like, yeah, no. I one hundred percent like feel. And even now, I think like, as I've only in the last couple of years, come out as non-binary. It's like realizing as well. Oh. There's no status quo. Yes. <laughs> like, it's it's quite a privilege to be in this community, I think, because it means you are in a constant state of moving forward. Yes. Straight people don't get to move forward. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, I this is kind of muddy wording of it, but I was, I was talking to a queer friend the other day about how I actually think I was stoned. Um, but, uh, and so was she, um, it, I really, I've grown to love being a queer person because I think we think harder about our identity than anybody else does. Do you know what I mean? Like, I totally agree. Um, and you know, not to say like queer people of all types, like, but mm. like, you know, and I'm not, I don't want to put ourselves on a pedestal. I don't think like we're more... <laughs> like evolved or anything no 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 but i think that there's certainly a i think that a lot of us have that sort of political awakening yeah uh in a way that maybe some 
some of my friends that I grew up with maybe never will. Yeah. And some of them will, but it might happen older. But certainly there was a point when I, when it became very, very apparent to me. And I think it's probably the same for lots and lots of marginalised groups, not just our community. No, 100%. But where you go, oh, fuck, someone did something 30 years ago and I'll never meet them. And because of them, I'm allowed to walk a bit more freely yeah. today. Totally. And on all levels, like, you know, through fucking entertainment, like, yep. you know, um, I exist because Julian Clary exists. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Like, yes. there's a line I can draw. Yeah, 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 yeah. And something that seems so flippant. Yes. In the, in, you know, 30 years ago. And I think because of, as queer people and yeah, a whole bunch of other minorities have to do this as well, but there's a, there's this big one question we have to ask ourselves in our lives, like, am I queer? Mm. And once we jump over that hurdle, I think we get kind of addicted to asking questions about ourselves. Mm. Like, I think, you know, and this is broad stroke, so, you know, I'm sure some people just like, well, this is what I am now. But, like, realising, yeah, like, and it happened a lot during the pandemic, that I spent a lot of time indoors talking of having these long, drunk conversations. I don't know about you, even though we were so isolated and stuff, I got really close with a lot of my friends. Yeah. And we had these really big conversations over Zoom. And I yeah. think part of it was there's this separation and I can yeah. hop out if I need to. Yeah. But, um, and really covered some ground. And about three friends and I all realised we were non-binary. <laughs> like, through right. these conversations, like, just having these big, long, drunk, depressed, but joyful yeah. conversations about ourselves. And, you know, I don't even, I think it's like an interesting, talking to someone about this recently, like it's, it's a question you have to ask yourself and it, it's not a dysphoria. Like it's not a, like it's, I, I don't think, like it's not a gender dysphoria or anything to be non, I, I personally don't think I didn't But I think it's what way. it is to you. Yeah, That's to okay, me, yeah. totally. Like I've never like felt, I, it was more like, it's, I've never felt like I need to change my body or anything. Mm-hmm. It's more of like looking at the two other, looking at the two binaries and being like, well, none of that seems good like to me. me. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to just sit over here if that's fine with everyone. Like, I, it's almost a, this is boiling it down too much, but it's like, it's a stance. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Does that make sense yeah. in any kind of way? No, I think it does. And I think I can only ask myself those questions because when I was 15, I asked myself a big question then. Do you know what I mean? And yes. You're, you're constantly checking. We're in a constant check state. Yeah. And I think like... It can be exhausting. Yeah. But I also think if you've been... You know, if you've sort of taken the world by the horns and sort of gone, this is who I am mm. once, maybe it's yeah not easier, but more uh, you know the path a little better yeah. to do it again. And I would hope, and this is so naive, but I would hope it also makes you, you know, if you think there was this big scary thing and then it turns out it wasn't that scary and actually leads to like, you know, getting fucked good. No. <laughs> Um, no, but it, like it leads to living realistically a and re- living a happy life, then so much seems less scary. Yeah. Like when people talk about like oh, stand up is the scary thing I've ever heard in my life is like, um, <laughs> do you want to have to tell your parents that you're going to have anal sex one day? That's yeah. basically what you're doing when you're telling them. Yeah, right. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah. And so I don't know how to end that. <laughs> no, but I think that it's, but it's okay that we leave it as a question. Yeah. It's okay that it doesn't have a I don't think we need full stops sometimes with I these conversations. What the question was. I don't know, but you become implicitly engaged after marrying a woman. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think it's just 
I don't know. One other thing I, th- I think I'll say is like uh, I've I've really taken more later in life to having queer friends. Yes. Instead of being the, the one or two the queer, queer people in yeah. a group, I love my straight friends. This is nothing against them, um, but they talk too much. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, and uh, particularly kind of older queers in my life, like I and who you know, maybe you don't realise it's happening and maybe they don't realise it's happening, but there's, like, a mentorship there and you can have these quite robust conversations about, mm. you know, I have, I have this friend who's in his 50s and we have these kind of big conversations sometimes about, say, generational queerdom and how his point of view, and I absolutely understand it, is, you know, about how we need to be teaching the history of, say, like, the age crisis yeah, and yeah, that type yeah, of thing sure. to uh, where... And, and I agree, but at the same time, I'm like, but, you know, if there's a 20-year-old who doesn't know about it, like, in to the degree of it, I understand we need to tell them about it and they need to understand our history. But what a beautiful life to live in. Yeah. <laughs> that they are unaware that there was this thing that made people so scared of us. Yeah, and killed us. And killed us. And yeah. complete, like, you know... It completely shook up. We were on our way. We were so on our way yeah. around that era to being like, you know. To where we are now. To where we are now. Imagine it, if that had have happened 40 years ago, where yeah. we would be now. Anyways. Um, and we, it's just really it's become more and more important to me to have these kind of queer voices in my life to, you know, it, it's like un, undoing your belt a little bit. Yeah. You're not kind of having to be the best queer person around all your queer friends all the time. And I think it's, um, you know, it's seeing lives that reflect yours in some way. It's very reassuring, I think. And like seeing people that have survived. Like certainly I've got older gay friends as well, queer friends as well. And, you know, my my friends Mark and Godfrey were making queer theatre at the Edinburgh Festival in the 90s. Yeah. And people would stand up and storm out. Yeah. Because they were so shocked by Mark what they were Godfrey saying. Mark and Godfrey are two of the most old queer names I've ever heard in my Love life. Love it, right? Well. They, were in this, they were in this company called Starving Artists and they went all over the world right. doing queer theatre. Yeah. They were so brave and so brilliant. Yeah. They ended up having stuff on at the Royal Court. Like, they were brilliant. And they're two of my really good friends. And God's is in his 70s and Mark's 60. And they're like, you know, and, and, and spending time with them sort of feeds my soul because I feel yeah. like they are my... Like, they're my gay family. They're the elders of my gay yeah. family, and which they, is really important. I think they also... Something I've noticed is there's a there's a lot less of a... Um, you know, say you like you complain about your age or something mm-hmm. in front of an old queer person. They usually don't go like, oh, Dale, you don't... Like, I think a lot of oldest... I don't know what I mean by this, but, like, older straight people are very aware of age and that type of thing, whereas I think we exist in a community that is, yes, like, very... You know, people date older and young people. And all yeah, that kind of thing. yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but as in, we don't cling to age as much. It's quite because, the same way. Yeah, like I think we all exist in this big melting pot together, and yeah. we have this little kind of uh, nod to each yeah. other. You know what I mean? Like, We're in us. Yeah, like you can, I can pretty comfortably feel like I could talk to a young queer person or an older queer person at a party. Yes. I don't think I could talk to a young straight person or an old straight person. <laughs> at a party. Maybe it's you. Yeah, it could be me. That's a, that's a problem with me. No, I've loved this conversation. I'm going to ask you one more question. It's yeah, a yeah. question I ask absolutely everyone that comes on the show. And uh, a lot of people that listen to this show... Can I borrow $500? Yes. Uh, <laughs> I'm doing so well off the back of the show. Um, a lot of people uh, who listen to this show are 
in the process of coming out might have come out quite recently or many of them still in the closet mm-hmm. uh, people have described it as uh, their bit of pride in their pocket mm-hmm. before they've come out which mm-hmm. I love and nice. um, and, I, and I and I kind of love to have a moment where we sort of reach back in our minds to the version of ourselves before we were out and quite often people think of like a version of themselves or maybe someone that's like listening right now on a bus going through our Newcastle not your Newcastle yeah, yeah. and I'm thinking of that version of Reese who was Wearing a fur jacket because they had to be so loudly gay that no one could hurt yeah. them. They had to be so sharp of tongue and wit so that it, it, it doesn't matter what you say because fuck you. Yeah. If you could reach out to someone that's going through something like that or indeed that version of yourself and just pop your arm around them and give them a bit of advice. Yeah. What oh would gosh. you say? I mean, it's so easy, isn't it, to jump to like the, you know... It gets better and you're you're loved and that type of thing. But I think it's like, um, I I wish someone had said to me, let's do a little bit of work on you and stop worrying about everyone else. Like, and I realise that's a very broad thing to say. No, but but I mean, like, you gotta, and it's such an easy thing to say, but you you gotta stop worrying. (laughs) Like... There was so much worry. Yeah. Worry and everything, you know, it's the fucking armour, like a fur coat is an armour and that type of thing. Obviously, coming out is about being safe. We know that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's about being safe because it's for you. It is not for anyone else yeah. coming out. Like, you're not coming out for your mother or something mm-hmm. like that. You're coming out for you. And so you got to, I think, look at your own shit... <laughs> Does that make sense? Like, kind of, why why are you doing... If you're uncomfortable right now, why are you uncomfortable? And move away from that as quickly (laughs) as possible and as safely as possible. And, I don't know, the cliche thing as well is, like, yeah, it does get better. It also gets... You know, it doesn't get better in every... Like, you're still an adult. (laughs) You're still going to be in life. Um, And you're still you. So that's why working on yourself is the thing. It's... It's not about necessarily where you are or what you're doing. It's about, like, how you are. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. Yeah. So just, I don't know, do a bit of do a bit of work on yourself. And not, I don't mean an aggressive, like, do a bit of work on yourself. You're an animal. Yeah. Um, but just, like, try and, as well as you can, get to the nut of what's making you not want to do this right now. Mm. And it's going to be rough, but it will be... Very nice when you're done. <laughs> Was that a weird perfect. thing to say? No, it's perfect. Uh, I'm gonna. I know you're going all over the country. I'm gonna yeah. put in our oh, in sure. our little show notes where you go and people should go and see Reese's very very funny. I'm and much funnier I than I have been recommend. in this. It's not meant to be funny. You were perfect. <laughs> Thank you. Cheers, Thank mate. you. Bye. That was the wonderful Reese Nicholson. They are on tour at the moment. I mean, you can Google it, but there's also a link in the pages. It will be on your phone when you're listening. Check them out. They're really, really, really funny. I, I'm sure that you will love the show. Okay, I'll see you next week. But until then, take care and thank you so much for listening. Bye. Bye.